0: G'day, everybody, and welcome to Regional Australia.
1: And that's where you're wrong. See, this random field in the middle of nowhere is what us city folk
0: think Regional Australia is like. I even wrote jokes about it in my stand up. Life in Regional Australia is booming, and the
1: people are chilled, they're trendy, but most importantly for you media types,
0: they're loaded.
1: So, it's time we got the facts. If you attended Ontario Association of Broadcasters' Connection 22, you may have taken in the first panel of this year's conference, The Wizards of Oz, looking at the moment of resurgence radio is having in Australia. Part of that growth is attributed to Boomtown, a collaboration between eight different broadcasters which markets regional radio and television to national advertisers. While 9.1 million residents live in regional Australia and the average income is more than 93 a year, just 10% of national media budgets were spent there when the campaign started. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we welcome Boomtown chairperson and chief sales officer for Southern Cross Stereo, Brian Gallagher, to talk about how educating media buyers has paid off and why he's bullish on the outlook for commercial radio.
0: Hi, my name's Brian Gallagher. I'm currently Chief Sales Officer of uh, the Southern Cross Austereo uh, Media Group in Australia. We're a um, large uh, radio, audio, and television media company, and um, we operate a very unique set of assets in this country. We we have media services in pretty much every nook and cranny of the Australian market, which is a very big geography uh, and quite a big challenge. To deliver. So um, my history is is always been in the media, in media sales and program production, are the two kind of key streams of activity I've been involved in over the years. And I started my career um, selling advertising for um, what we call here in Australia uh, regional media companies. So those companies that service what we call the regional markets or the I guess non cap city markets. Australia is a country with um, five major what we call capital cities with major pop- population centres account for about 60% of the Australian population uh, in a very, very small physical footprint compared to, yeah, I guess, the, the other 40% of the population or the regional population who um, basically live across the, the, the broader breadth of the Australian continent. And so I've had, I'm thinking, uh, close to 40 years working in regional and metro media and, um, yeah, culminating in, um, in my time here now at uh, Southern Cross,
1: which is um, coming up to eight years. So you touched a little bit about the makeup of the listening audience, but I want to talk more about Australian radio, which seems to mm. be experiencing a little more resilience And in some cases, year over year growth in both ad revenue and listenership. Are you able to touch on that? Yes. You know, it's the old
0: adage of the media. You get more audience, you get more money. So it's the same in your market as it is in ours. And certainly radio has continued to grow audiences, which is quite a contrast to for example, television, who has had quite a challenge uh, maintaining audiences because competitors are eating into their core proposition um, and offering services that are sort of probably an improved uh, viewing experience for, for, for certain customers. So, the content you want, when you want it, where you want it, is a very really strong proposition provided by Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO and so forth. Radio actually has also got digital competitors um, in the form of Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, so on. It just seems that some of the core programming strengths of radio, um, I think, is is a key reason for the growth and the resilience of audiences. What I mean by that is that, you know, in our case, we blanket all of continental Australia with radio services. Every single market we operate in, and we have a hundred radio licences across the country in the FM space, and also a whole range of DAB stations and uh, and so forth. Those services are kind of very targeted, and particularly in the case of our FM radio services, they're very very local. So there's a hundred different versions of what's going on each day, tailored to local communities in terms of you know, breakfast shows and news offerings and, you know, news weather, local coverage of events. I think that that kind of approach with the a sort of very contemporary approach to the, the, the music formats and all the rest of it that we, um, that we roll with just ensures that audiences are catered to really effectively in our primary broadcast properties. But additionally, we've used digital spectrum, so digital audio broadcasting spectrum, and we've used you know streaming under our master brands of our radio stations to create more channels more audience opportunity to listen by tailoring sort of you know various genre and other properties to audiences that we serve so we've got this diversity in product and a, and a, and a localism that's really strong and i think those things combined are just keeping people really interested in our products And we see that in increased audience um, and listenership. And of course that translates to revenue. And we have, you know, I think two very distinct, probably now three very distinct approaches to how you buy um, advertising with our business. We've got a very localized, you know, local retail, local kind of direct advertiser base. You know, there's a, a set of advertisers at every single one of our markets that supports our business and we support them. Then there's a national uh, kind of major advertiser cohort that spends consistently in, in very large amounts across our, our business, our metropolitan markets and our regional markets. And now we've also got this uh, digitised, uh, if you like, a service. We have all of our products uh, on our digital platform, listener, and we distribute our podcasts and our radio shows very widely. And that's bringing in, a you know, obviously offering up opportunities to our existing advertiser base, but it's bringing in more... Um, advertisers who are probably um, more used to doing business with big tech for advertising than what they are with us. And um, that's opening up um, new frontiers for us.
1: As you mentioned, Australia, much like Canada, has a significant urban-rural divide. Can you take Mm. us back to the synthesis of Boomtown and how the idea of a regional trade marketing campaign came about.
0: I probably should also have mentioned that I am chairman of a collective marketing group called Boomtown, which I guess is a little cheeky slash cynical kind of Boomtown that's a wake-up call um, to advertisers who have ignored very large tracts of the Australian population by concentrating their advertising weight into these five capital cities. So quite happy to sort of advertise heavily to 60% of the population and leave the other 40% to their own devices. Now, it's interesting when you go into why that would be, and there are certainly, and there have always been plenty of advertisers that have advertised very heavily to that regional cohort, but they, they were kind of bracketed, I guess, into various categories. Um, and so if you could take for instance quick service restaurants so mcdonald's and kfc and, and 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 so forth they were always very strong regional advertisers supermarkets supermarket chains were very strong regional advertisers and this is of course because they have that daily cash register data point um, and they know clearly that if people if they're not advertising they're not getting the sales But a lot of the suppliers to supermarkets, for example, so the consumer packaged goods area in particular, which is a very large advertiser category for you and for us, is very underrepresented in regional markets. And that's because the supermarkets themselves are soaking up a lot of the um, marketing dollars of those brands, you know, shelf space for marketing dollars. And those marketing dollars were going into supermarkets, not going into regional media. And over the course of my career, I've demonstrated using. Various data sets that brand share suffers in that in that situation. So you might have a major national brand from, you know, Kellogg's or Nestle, who has a very high market share in a, in Sydney, and you can demonstrate advertising weight has always been quite prevalent in Sydney, but for the surrounding communities in the states around Sydney, that market share could have been half of what it was in Sydney. Well, the outcome of that is that that particular brand is leaving money on the table in the communities it's serving because less people are buying that product than probably would if they were prompted more often to do so things like brand awareness brand intention purchase intention those scores are, are, are down when the advertising weights aren't prevalent so we were able to um, you know demonstrate that with data from the southern cross Osteria perspective but there are Uh, Seven or eight major Australian media companies servicing the regional markets of Australia. And we kind of found that doing all the heavy lifting on our own in terms of bringing these kind of insights to the market, while successful, um, needed to be ramped up and it needed to be achieved uh, growth in ad revenue from these major national advertisers needed needed to be achieved faster. And so we figured that the best way to do that would be to engage with all of the competitive media companies and create a trade marketing positioning that drew attention to uh, the opportunity. We initially thought it would be a bit of a, I guess, uh, a difficulty to to bring all these rivals together to the table to promote this um, opportunity. But we found everybody put their usual competitive mindset to the side for the greater good and came together very cooperatively about four and a half, five years ago now to form this collective, which we ultimately named Boomtown. And Boomtown was originally a campaign name, but it landed so well in the way that we took it to market that it eventually became, I guess, the working title of the collective itself. And so it's the Boomtown group now, and everyone's very proud of it. And we've stayed
1: together all all through this journey and, um, and, and are continuing on. Can you talk about what its success looks like and, yeah. and I'd like to know more about the value of educating media buyers. What did you find to be the barriers that have kept that national ad spend number low in the regional markets? And it's a range of things. Age, experience, uh,
0: <laughs> media itself attracts a vibrant young cohort of inner city dwellers who may or may not have the experience of the broader community that exists outside of their kind of latte drinking black t-shirt wearing inner city cohort. They, you know, routinely view the market through the eyes of their own experience. And that's the single biggest barrier, you know, to understanding broader communities. If a young media buyer thinks that the only thing that occurs outside of you know their urban environment is the growing of wheat and the milking of cows. Then they're going to consider the the target audience as being involved in that in that in those practices and be limited in terms of the spending power they have for the products that their clients are trying to sell. There's also a habit like a five cap city metro TV buy in this particular market was the the first thing you did in terms of pitching a, a, a campaign strategy to a client. You've got to knock off your ability to actually get that five-cap city TV buy done efficiently. That's the focus of sort of 60% of the activity around the media buying for many, many years. Then when digital media started to, you know, really become prevalent and search and social and display and real-time bidding and all those sort of things started to enter into the market, they became the catchphrase or the, you know, the, the, the platform's de jour for, media buyers to concentrate on. So they still had this big TV buy, you know, thing they had to do, and then they had to add on all these funky new tricks. And so once again, you know, the the kind of consideration of these other populations got pushed into the background. And the level of awareness around how much um, market share gain was there, that wasn't focused on, you know, it was Buying efficiently in these sort of high demand environments kind of were, was the focus. So we've had to sort of really come back and recognize who we need to communicate to. And that f- basically falls into two groups one is marketing directors, marketing managers, chief marketing officers, and that sort of co- cohort of people who are basically carrying the risk, you know, of we must get this right because, uh, you know, they've got their shareholders to worry about and then the other cohort which is this kind of group of young media buyers who roll through you know with a certain set of um, you know internal objectives that are, that are set in, in in history the way it's always been done and and we have to change both of those groups um, you know perspective and alert them to the opportunity the approach we've taken is very much a case of not saying well you know what guys you're getting this very very wrong it's a case of saying hey, are you aware that, you know, in a market that we all exist in around the world right now where it is so hard to grow, are you aware that you're leaving growth on the table right now? And this is how you might go about actually, um, you know, gaining new customers because you've got a largely untapped market here. And just to give you a percentage, um, you know, I said before that those regional markets have about 40% of the population. They, at one point, were carrying about 10 cents in the dollar of the national advertiser dollar so extremely underweight and to you the second part of your question which is what does success look like well today that's closer well that's in the low 20s now and it's growing so we've doubled that 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 percentage over time and that's really the only metric are we getting more money for the services we offer today from those national advertisers? And the answer to that is absolutely yes, we are.
1: In terms of Boomtown's success, despite the challenges of the the pandemic, it's my understanding that your initiative actually helped non-metro markets recover faster during the pandemic. Yeah, um, they recovered
0: faster and they didn't sink quite as low inside the pandemic. So we had a, a kind of, we had two benefits there. Um, and definitely, I think it's a testament to the, to the media companies involved in Boomtown that over the course of the pandemic, we're in no different um, conditions than Canada. You know, a lot of well, ad revenue plummeted. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs coming out of uh, COVID. You know, we ha- we've been hit with supply chain issues, which uh, is everything from chips can't get on boats to get from Taiwan to here and even if they did we've now got 99 percent employment going on here <laughs> got workforce shortages and all sorts of things so what was really good for us as a collective was be a, was to be able to sort of um through you know economic data and understanding the market and what was happening is to constantly be focused on the categories that should be advertising, constantly being re- reminding the market that now's the time to remind your clients that domestic travel is going through the roof right now as opposed to overseas travel. So regional markets are going to be the recipient of a lot of the visitors, so a lot of brand choices, and a lot of spending decisions are going to be made in this holiday period over these markets and so now it's the time to really double down on your advertising in regional so those kind of initiatives we switch those initiatives out all the time like we we try to identify where we think we're going to have an opportunity or a problem and we create very tactical um, trade marketing messages around those opportunities and we push them out through our trade advertising i guess the other pillar of fueling growth is that we are trying to get the information about those markets and um, an idea about what their value and how easy it is to buy them and reinforce that knowledge throughout the market consistently. So we have run you know, dozens of masterclasses, um, Boomtown masterclasses, uh, which are basically education sessions where we basically accredit young agency planners and buyers with the knowledge to buy regional markets effectively. And that has a very positive impact because you know, we're drawing back the curtains on what's really available out there, and um, getting over one of those earlier barriers that I mentioned to you before, which is that you know, oh, it's always been done this way, and we have this focus on these this hierarchy of how we're going to spend this client's money, and you know, if we've got anything left, we'll sort of send it to regional. Well, we've reversed that around through education. So, a, re- a really um, you know, the biggest components of the campaign strategy are I- readily available information and constant. Education, and with those sort of things, um, then you start to sort of move the needle. And overlaying all that, being very focused on um, the market conditions that exist, the impact those market conditions have on the various advertising categories, and being very vocal about what it is that we can do in the moment to help address any any opportunities or any issues that are emerging through those economic conditions.
1: You have a number of really interesting case studies up on your website. Ranging from Australian mushroom growers to converting day trippers to the Atherton Tablelands to overnight stays. Is there a particular campaign that stands out for you that really represents what Boomtown has been able to accomplish?
0: I think the category that really kind of says it for me is telecommunications. Watching the two major telecommunication providers right now, um, being Telstra and Optus going head to head in regional markets, on infrastructure, on marketing, on product quality, you know, is a real recognition that there is a vibrant market out there that needs to be serviced. And when it's serviced well, it provides extraordinary profit for any enterprise that wants to engage with it. I think that's a, for me, I mean, it may surprise that, you know, in this day and age, that telecommunications infrastructure could be seen as something where massive growth is available, but to see them beat a path that consumers to, to, to deliver improved 5G services and compete for market share, that's exactly what we want. It's exactly what we want because we benefit from that because, of course, those telecommunication companies are spending a, a, a to, to attract market share. But the biggest beneficiary of all is the regional consumer who gets choice and quality, and I think that. Watching that unfold has been really exciting.
1: Are there lessons to be learned here for other countries based on what you've been able to accomplish? It's a hard one for me to answer that. Generally, anecdotally,
0: based on what my experience has been throughout my career and particularly in this last five years with um, Boomtown, it's not profitable to apply prejudice to communities. You never know what they're um, capable of delivering to you if you're prepared to engage with them. I think that's a probably a, a lesson in life. You know, I mean, we've got a lot of advertisers here who who ignored communities and, and and lost market share as a result. You know, you think about the pressure on growth right now, and you've got to look everywhere for opportunity. Would be the lesson I think, and I think it applies across all business. You just never know what opportunity. Uh, you're leaving on the table if you're not looking hard enough at, at, at you know at your audiences you know I think in terms of like I'm quite familiar with Canada as a market I've been there myself many times I've spent time in Vancouver and then I spend time in British Columbia and I, I kind of get a sense that there might be a similar kind of a metro regional media thing going on over there I'm not sure if it's exactly that way you could probably tell me but um I'd be a watch out for for your market because, you know, I reckon there would be opportunity there that's untapped. Similarly, um, when I look at the States, I know that there's a really vibrant local market of advertisers. There is a quite a polarized approach to sort of buying inventory across major markets versus other markets. And so there's probably a little bit of that lesson to be taken there as well. Outside of that, I think it's just more the general, the general lesson, which is there is opportunity everywhere and you just got to go looking for it. And you, and the data is your friend in that, in that, in that sense.
1: In terms of our rural urban split, we're a little more focused in, in the metro markets. It's more of a 70, 30 split, yeah. but I don't know if Australia had the same pandemic phenomenon where we saw a lot of people move out of the urban centers and a lot of that has to do with the significant rise in the cost of living in in Vancouver and Toronto here in Canada but you know what struck me when I saw your video at Ontario Association of Broadcasters Conference is that it almost felt like you're in some respects marketing Regional living, not just the buying of advertising in regional markets. Would you say that's that's safe to say? one hundred percent. In fact, I think
0: one of the things that has been really fascinating to me is to see the attitude of our young sellers who are in the market selling these the advertising in these markets. One of the tactics that um, at SCA that we we deploy around Boomtown to support Boomtown is out of my trade marketing budget we take clients to the markets and we'll sit down in a market and I'll bring three or four local business people who are running pretty extraordinary businesses who have got lots of overseas customers or they're running e-commerce businesses. In one regional market, the clients I took who were very sophisticated advertisers and I took them to this particular market and we were sitting in a lovely winery, uh, you know, uh, doing a a Q&A with some local business. One of those local businesses was a software company that does uh, financial services software for stock traders. Uh, He has 250 clients. Most of them are in London and New York and he has 150 coders sitting in this regional New south wales town of thirty thousand people and he's turning over something like 200 million dollars a year out of that high street running that business and so you kind of take these people that haven't had much experience with the regional markets you fly them in they experience the kind of the normality of really strong business ethic and growth and all the local businesses focused on local communities And this magical thing happens where my team and the clients, all of a sudden, they all want to move there because they don't see any more that being there is a limitation to their progress in their careers. Um, They see the benefits, of course, because they can earn the same kind of money and spend less in terms of cost of living, all the same things. And so as we were very early in the pandemic phase, we obviously shut down all those trips, but we started to identify this exodus that was occurring. And there's another body, if you like, that's um, federally funded called the Regional Australia Institute. And one of the things they do is they actually measure the migration um, of population and all the individual market economic measures and so forth. So and keep pretty good track on that. And there was just a significant population shift out of metro into regional over the pandemic. There was a suggestion that it would actually reverse and they will come back and that is not happening, which I think is fascinating. So, you know, I see it in our own teams, uh, a lot more pride in the fact that we're representing regional markets. So you've got a whole bunch of city dwellers living in the city selling a regional market and they're probably in, in, rea- in reality have the same attitude towards it as the buyers, um, which is a bit of a ho-hum kind of, this is what I'm selling, uh, you know, on top of my other prestigious metropolitan products. I'm selling this as well. But that's not the case anymore. So we've got this nationwide population shift which I would call the flight to quality, a quality of life. And then internally in our own businesses, we've got this pride emerging around what the product range is and what the markets actually do and how important they are. And I think that's a massive benefit for a media company to know that the people on the front line have a real understanding and a pride in, you know, those local communities is uh, it's pretty awesome thing
1: do you have thoughts on the future of commercial radio and its sustainability what do you see on the horizon challenges opportunities or or otherwise
0: look i think that for us the future is very bright i mean um there's a whole other kind of conversation we could enter into about our digital audio strategy the face of that is the listener platform i'm not sure if you're familiar with that but it's um basically a platform that we've built, which is app-based and, um, you know, an audio player for web-based listening and all of our many, many radio products uh, aggregate under that app. Plus, we aggregate thousands of podcasts there. And we also create new streaming audio products there that are exclusively available on listener. So you spoke before about audiences increasing and one of our strategies for increasing audiences, obviously, kind of relevance of local content. And then there's the universal distribution of that through digital means. And in our business, that's personified by listener. We've got about 12 million um, people in any given week listening to Australian commercial radio in the metro markets, plus regional, probably another six. In our own digital environment, we're reaching nearly 9 million people a month with podcasting, radio products, streaming audio products outside of our broadcast. That's tripled over the last few years and it's going to double again over the next couple of years. And the revenue profile along that uh, alongside that is doubling and doubling again. So when you ask me do I see a future? I do, absolutely. And it's incredibly bright because it lives, our future lives where the consumer lives. And I think that's pretty critically important that we're gonna remain relevant. So we've basically mobilized our product. We're taking ourselves obviously not away from breakfast and drive because they're still driving massive reach, but we've kind of mobilized everything and you know, workday listening is on the increase, weekend listening is on the increase, special event listening is on the increase. And because we've got everybody kind of like channeling through an app and we're getting signed in users in that environment, we're able to then really granularly look at how audiences are traveling around our ecosystem in a way that the regular rating survey was never able to show. So, we're now in a situation where we've kind of hit hit some really sweet spots in terms of what audiences want to listen to, how they want to listen, and we're constantly being updated through our own data on how that evolves, and we're, and we're evolving with it. Yeah, I could not be more bullish about the role of audio in the market generally. Specifically, I think we're now so sufficiently digitized that we're able to actually Create an entirely new cohort of advertisers Um, because, you know, for example, Sydney is a very large footprint, Vancouver is a very large footprint. If you've got a cohort of advertisers that, you know, are probably just a, a tad too small to be on the radio reaching the entire market because perhaps they they service the north, the south, the east, or the west of the city. Our digitised audience now is at such scale that we can start opening up new client segments. Um, now, these client segments have previously been the domain exclusively of search and social um, platforms, self-serve. So we're getting into the point now where we're going to be able to start opening up these new advertisers that super serve our local business communities even better than we have in the past. And I think aside from the obvious benefits of being where the audience wants to be and growing the listenership, um, we've got this additional benefit of now being able to carve up our advertising inventory into useful segments for more advertisers than ever. And we'll be able to take some money back out of those um, digital providers that have kind of carved that market out for themselves. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty upbeat. Do you have a thought you want to close on, Brian? It's been a pretty challenging three three or four years for ev- for all of us in the media. You know, we've we've had to deal with things that we've never had to deal with before. Um, we've had to be on air, service our audiences, be the best that we can possibly be. And we've done it under the most trying conditions possible. All of our people have worked so hard to keep us in the great shape that we are. And um, we went from pandemic to supply chain to now globally, economically, things are a bit challenging um, with interest rates and hyperinflation and all the rest of it. I guess my thought, To close on is that for all of us it's been a pretty rocky three years it gets better from here you know we're all media professionals doing the best that we can do and our rewards are only moments away so my last thoughts are really just those kind of generic thoughts of i guess that we should all be having a very great break and looking forward to coming back to a new year that's fresh it'll have some fresh challenges none of them will be as big as the ones we've faced in the past and um, and uh, I'm just looking forward to sort of probably, I guess, the new normal is probably the best way to put it. A fresh new year ahead uh, for all of us to enjoy.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Brian.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for reaching out.
1: Welcome to life outside of the Cap Cities. Welcome to Boomtown. Oh, sorry.
0: Got me farmed. Not that you
1: actually have a farm, sorry. Okay,
0: so the first thing I learned about Boomtown locals like Malachi is that they're annoyingly happy. Maybe it's because they have cash to splash. Or is it because they not only live in the place we go to for holidays, people like Andrew are always going on holidays. Then there's the houses they live in. They're huge! Which is just as well because they spend trolley loads on groceries. And the jobs people do in Boomtown aren't what you'd expect either. There are founders of tech startups,
1: genius astrophysicists, and people who can afford to invest in things rather than a career. So now that you've met a few of Boomtown's locals, think about the value this regional audience could add to your next media plan.
0: Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information
1: about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Matt Kundall, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.